be in Acts chapter 12, so you guys can turn there in your Bibles. So in this chapter here, we're going to go through a lot of different situations and even challenges that I've experienced or that have helped me, and I pray that also help you as in your walk as a Christian. Uh, you know, only, I say only going through the Bible and seeing God's power within His Word will give you the required strength to live this life. So only going through the Bible and seeing God's power and how much He cares for you will give you the required strength to live this life. And I say required because of the importance of having that close relationship with the Lord. It's down to the nitty-gritty, guys. Just your, your personal relationship with the Lord. If the Lord isn't your best friend, you know you're going, you have the wrong friend, right? Best friend. Um, but we, we hear it often here in this fellowship right now. I've experienced in my life where the lack of endurance, the... Um, lack of obedience, the, the lack of self-control in here, it always stems from my relationship with the Lord being lack. It lacks. Um, you know, that alone time with the Lord, that intimate time with the Lord as we reference it to, right? So we need to realize that without God, we are powerless. You are weak without the Lord in your life and on a road that leads to pain and, and regret. You know, I, who's experienced that? I've experienced that, right, where the, the road without the Lord it's full of pain, right? Um, but again, you know, Lord's, Lord in his grace, right, forgives when we make mistakes. But again, we can't, we can't replace that, that lost month, right, or months that we missed out with the Lord, you know, hearing from him, right, where he gets to teach us those things. We can't replace that time lost. So hopefully going through this chapter here, we'll see God's hand through, the, through it all. And along with the reality that, that people and the enemy, Satan himself, will come against those who love the Lord. So we're going to read the, the whole section here. It's in Acts chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 24. So we're going to read the whole thing and then, then come back and um, we'll spend some time together in, in different sections. So you guys all there? Acts chapter 12. All right, let's read. So now about the time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And that was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And when they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord had sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod 
and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when they had considered this, sorry, when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them that how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what it had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and had found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon because they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend. They asked for peace because, they, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed with royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So this, this Herod in the book of Acts chapter 12 is a grandson of Herod the, when Jesus was born. Uh, the guy, these guys had some serious you know, power issues. Uh, the Herod during the birth of Jesus uh, sent out soldiers and killed all the babies, right, two years or younger. And it wasn't even safe to be one of his sons back then. It says he murdered a few, several of his sons. And I remember Pastor Chuck saying that it was more uh, safer to be his pig than his son. Um, so the Herod here is Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great. Um, not necessary information, right, but you can see how the generation, right, if something's not fixed, it'll just keep progressing, right, the sin. So the all-powerful king had the great idea, idea to harass some of the church, the people of the church. It doesn't really say a whole lot, but that more or less that he saw it pleased the Jews. The harassment of the church was pleasing people, so he wanted to do it. Um, doing, some, some, through doing some of this to the followers of Jesus Christ, right, um, was giving him wanted publicity from people he thought were important. This is in verse 3. It's all that it pleased the Jews. So he had James killed by the sword, and he continues his game here of man-pleasing and goes after Peter. So, but Peter was given some time after the capture, after they captured him because it was a time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and they couldn't hold any trials for criminals during that time until after the Passover was celebrated. So Peter was seized, arrested, and put into prison and they watched, he was watched by four, four squads of soldiers until the Passover was done. And then they would bring him before the people uh, for his sentence, which was death. So I'll make sure you guys are paying attention. It was death, right, coming. So the definition of, of qua, qua, the four squads in the King James Version, it's pronounced tedrions, and this is the definition. It says a guard consisting of four soldiers 
It says, for among the Romans, this was a usual number of the guard to which the custody of captives and prisoners were, were entrusted. So four guys. Two soldiers that were confined to the prisoner and two that kept guard on the outside. And then they would have four night watches during the night, consistent of the four guys. So, so Peter in prison had these two guards chained to him on either arm and two guards outside the cell. And like I said, there was four sets of guards that would rotate throughout the night watching Peter. So from a human perspective, we could say that Peter is pretty well guarded, correct? Pretty well guarded. No one could break in. No one could break him out. There was no hope of escape. But in verse number five, it says, constant prayer was offered to him, offered to God for him. By who? By the church. By the church. So we have two, two squads here, two teams doing battle, right, in this, in this uh, chapter here. We have the team number one. Uh, we have the king of the land and his four sets of soldiers uh, with all their battle gear, swords, whatever it may be, right, that they have in the cell, shackled to Peter and watching him constantly. And then we have team number two, which is the church here. And what are they doing? They're praying. They're praying for him. Which team would you like to be on? Guys, with all the weapons and everything that the earth provides as protection or prayer and being able to talk to the God of heaven and earth for the people around you. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that, you know, this, this earthly team and this um, heavenly team, I've been on both. Uh, I've changed teams, so to speak, right? Been traded, so to, or wanted to be traded. Um, been in different dugouts uh, in my life as a Christian. Now, hopefully, as we grow, we become more dependent on the Lord and want to be on His team all the time, all the time. But many times, things happen that that jump out at us and surprise us. That we start depending on our own thoughts and, and our own smarts, knowledge. What, what should I do? What's best for me? What, what makes me feel good? The, these occurrences that happen in our lives are usually things that, that are bad, right? That we, we know that we need help or, or that challenge us. But sometimes they, they might be good things, some opportunities in our lives that, that we still need to place at the feet of the Lord for direction, you know, to see that if he really wants us to keep going in this, quote-unquote, good earthly direction, to see if he really wants um, us to go there. You know, without, without a doubt, this is hard, right? Who says it's hard? It's hard, right, to do this every single time, uh, to have it like as a, as a foundation in our life, to be on the heavenly team constantly. But, but as we'll see later, you guys know who wins, right? The when, when the Lord comes back, everyone's going to know who's going to win. Here, we're going to see who wins. So in verses 6 through 9, let's read those again real quick. It says that when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains, between two prisoners, two, two soldiers, sorry, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. Then the angel of the Lord 
said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So the night before, Herod was going to bring out Peter to put him to death. The Lord sends his angel, right, and busts Peter out of prison. Um, what was Peter doing? Sleeping, right? Kind of funny. He was sleeping, but that was Peter, right? There are other times in the Gospels where Peter slept. It might have been because he felt, I hope, under the care of the Lord, right, that he found rest. But you have to imagine that Peter knew what happened to James, right, that he was dead, and he probably was going to be the next one, uh, next victim for Herod. Only the peace of God could have put Peter in a place where he could have been sleeping at a time like this. Uh, and I think it applies to us also that we need to have the peace of the Lord. Do we believe, do we hold on to, do we grasp onto that the Lord is in control of everything that happens to us? Can we hold on to that? Uh, even in an extreme case like this, death coming, knocking at your door. You know, it would be hard, but we always need to have that mindset, right, that we, that we are not to fear this life and what it brings us but to fear God instead, who is a taker of life. Uh, having that godly fear, knowing that he's in control, should always help us to overcome those extreme events in our life. Uh, definitely, and I say definitely, only something the Lord can do, amen? Your, your, your family, your friends, your, your, our pastor, right, cannot bring you the peace that God can give you. He'll point you to him, right? We need to point each other to him. But God will only give you that peace in that one-on-one -on -one relationship that you need to have with him. So the angel strikes Peter on the side, raises him up and says, get up, man, let's go. <laughs> Peter's chains fall off of, his, uh, off of him instantly and the angel kind of gives him continued instructions to gird himself, tie his sandals, put on his garment and follow him. By the instructions, the angel kind of get the feeling that he's in a hurry right, to get Peter out. And most people believe that it was because when you, what happened when angels appear in the Bible? People would kneel, right, fall down and worship him. So I think that's probably why he tells Peter to get out fast. Now, I know the Lord's, we know the Lord's always on time, right? We know the Lord is never late, never early, anything like that. Uh, he knows what, what we need, when we need it. He knows when we need to be rescued, right? He knows when, when our prayers need to be answered, all those things. What's the hard part? Just waiting for that, right? Um, Peter, I'm not sure if we can be sleeping all day like Peter, but we could have rest, right, in our lives that we know God will answer when he feels it's appropriate. And only then will we have freedom, right, or, or blessings to us, right, when he answers up and moves us on. So he's right on time every time. And this was the exact time that he wanted Peter to be set free. It could have been right at the point of death, right, when he was about, however they were going to kill him, beheaded. It could have, could have saved him then. But this was the appointed time when God wanted to free Peter. The Lord set me free at a specific time for my good, right, and my protection, Again, that, that choice, I, I wanted him, obviously, right? 
But if I was to be saved any time later than the time, that, the exact time when I gave my life to the Lord, no, no, no telling where I would have gone. And I'm sure you guys can think of moments in your life. I'm sure of it. That you guys can think of moments in your life where God prepared you beforehand, right? By the saving of your soul. Nothing could have prepared for me what happened the day after my conversion. But God with me, right? He, he saw me through it all. Um, and I'm sure he saw you through it all. Amen? So, and, but also, if you don't have the Lord in your life, you're flying solo right now. If you have not committed your, given your life to Jesus Christ and accepted him as Savior, that you are, are a sinful human being in need of a Savior, and you accept Jesus Christ, you're, you're flying solo right now. You're by yourself. But when you have that intimate relation with the Lord, you will have that power like we talked about before, the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And you'll be able to fight against the enemy, against people, plenty of people out there, right, come against you. You'll be able to fight against those enemies right? by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, it, it reminds me of, of Saul of Damascus, right, when, he, when the Lord met him on that road where the Bible says that he created havoc in the church. Imagine someone coming through, the, through these doors, right, creating havoc here. We would think there was no hope for that guy, but the Lord met him on that road, and it says that the scales of his eyes fell off, that he could see. It says immediately after that interaction with the Lord that it says he preached Christ. He was changed completely from the inside out, and it was totally different now, right, from a human perspective. And I think I have certain people in my life that that has happened, one particular young lady that just was converted by a meeting with the Lord, a simple Bible study, a simple lady showing her and preaching to her about Christ, where she accepted him and she was changed, right? But only the Lord can do that. Our God has so got to meet us right where we're at when we need him the most, where we need him the most, right? It couldn't be just, it's almost like when we give up, when we give up all our human options, God will meet us there, guaranteed. Maybe verses 9 and 10? Yeah, 9 and 10. It says, so we, he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but that he was seeing a vision. It says, when they were past the first and second guard post." They came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So Peter followed this angel out of the prison, thinking it was only a vision. This big iron gate opened up by itself that leads out to the city. And once Peter was safe, the, the angel splits, takes off. How awesome is that? After he was broken out, every obstacle... Right, the Lord kind of says, all right, Peter, you're free. It's kind of weird that Peter didn't know that it was real right at the moment when it was all happening. He thought it was, it was a vision. Uh, but I think sometimes we get stuck with that as well as believers. Where Peter had seen so many miracles, and we have seen so many miracles that, that we lack 
the eyes to see the works of the Lord in someone's life. That the Lord really did do that. You know, it wasn't anyone else but the Lord. Like, like, like we talked about the teens, right? Being heavenly minded. Like only the Lord can do that. How can anything else be explained? So, so Peter's going to meet up with the, uh, the other team now. But, you know, the fact that he was broken out the prison, right, all those things, and, and not really realizing that it was a Lord through it all. Maybe, maybe looking back now, right? I'm sure we can do the same thing, right, looking back. But how we're losing out in the process of, of enjoying what the Lord is doing step by step, instead of waiting to the end, right, where he's like, all right, wow, look at everything that the Lord did. I think we make that mistake sometimes. I've made that mistake sometimes. Let's read 11 through 17 again. It says that when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord had sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. There were many gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, the girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You're beside yourself? Yet she kept insisting that it was so, and they said, It is an angel, his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So it says that Peter came to himself, uh, came to his senses. This phrase is used in the parable of the prodigal son, right, where the, the son was out spending all his inheritance, right, and then everything comes crashing down, and he's eating the pig's food. And it says he came to his senses, realizing, right, that back where he left in the care of his father, Right, that's where he should be. So it's almost like Peter came to his senses and, and didn't say, you know, this is not a vision, this is what the Lord did, right? And he goes off to the house of prayer, um, but it's a pretty special situation when he gets there. He arrives at the home of the servant girl. Um, Rhoda meets him at the door, uh, who's overjoyed at seeing, right, what that their prayers were answered, overjoyed, that she booked it, didn't even open the door. But runs back in the house and tells Peter, you know, tells everyone that Peter's was there, and, and I wonder what Peter was thinking, right? Kind of like, he forgot one thing. But when the servant girl gets to the group of people that were praying, and I think still praying, that Peter was freed, and he was at the door, what do they tell her? She's just, girl, you're crazy. Even though we're praying for this, he's there. It can't be so. You're out of your mind. Even where do they tell her that, you know, you see, you're seeing his angel type of thing. You know, I guess it was kind of a custom or regularly maybe or the stories maybe back then that and they would see angels sometimes. But even that in itself couldn't get them to the door. 
So they, they finally get out there to see that it was really Peter, and it says that they were amazed in Luke 17, 6. It says, the Lord says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can do miraculous things. You know, I think these believers here had the faith of a mustard seed. They prayed for God to free Peter, but when some, someone told them that it actually happened, did they believe it? They didn't believe it, right? I know, I know the weapons, the weapon, weapons that we have in prayer is really something we need to use in our constant, constant lives here on earth. We need to believe by faith that God can and will still answer prayers even though we think it's impossible. You know, I'm always telling my kids you know, this because they, they pray and ask for things that they might think God can't do. Even some of your kids in the class, you know, we have prayer before, you know, kind of we start the study, you know, what, what do you want to pray for? What do you want to pray for? It's always mom and dad. So they're praying for you. But I sometimes tell them that they really need to know and believe that God can answer these prayer requests. It isn't just like a, a, a routine we go through, something we say, but that God will do what he, he wants, right, and has already planned to do, whether we pray or not, but praying is something that we should rely on as Christians. The Lord is so good, right, all the time. And I was, I was prepping for this study. You know, he was emphasizing things that he was teaching me um, over the last couple of weeks. And we're going over the life of Abraham in, in the book of Genesis, you know, with the kids and so forth. And one of the studies was on when Abraham was, was interceding for mainly his nephew Lot, but also for, for the people of God. It was in Exodus, or Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to read a few verses here, but you can just write this down. Genesis 18, it's in verses 20 through 22. And it says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then the men, the, the angels, then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still stood before the Lord. So if you don't know, Sodom and Gomorrah was, was an evil place. Uh, like when we're going through the study and the kids, the kids are like, kind of like California. Kind of, right? Evil place. That judgment's coming, right? Judgment's coming. So you have here the time of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord was going to go down and see what was going on. And the situation here with Abraham is, is that God was revealing to Abraham what was going to happen to the city. God was showing Abraham the plans of judgment coming. So what was, go, what was Abraham's response going to be? You know, he stood before the Lord. He stood before the Lord still. Still. And reminded God of who he was and what he was like. I'm not sure my prayers hardly ever go there. I'm like, yeah, he already he knows that. But this is the passion Abraham had for God's people, where, where it brought him to, the, to, the, to reminding God of his promises that he gave him, reminding God of, 
who he says he is and what he's going to do. So verses in Genesis 18, I'm going to read this real quick, 23 through 26. You can write that down also. It says, And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were there in it? Far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, Lord. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within this city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. So if you know that section of scripture where Abraham kind of continues down and challenges the Lord on what he's going to do. Fifty? How about five less, Lord? Would you judge it if there were 45? How about 40? How about 35? How about 30? All the way down to 20. So it's clear as day here, right? Abraham's persistence in his prayer for the people, his, his intercession, his outstretched prayers for the people. Did they deserve it? For sure, right? The, Lord, the Lord's going to do what he's going to do, amen? The Lord's going to do it. But because of an intercessor like Abraham, we must feel that as we're praying, that someone's eternal destiny hangs in the balance. As we pray for people, as we go before the Lord and bring people before the Lord and say, Lord, you said you can save anybody. Why not him? Why not her? You know, those, that, that passion for people, that passion for knowing that God can do miracles still, that's the kind of heart we need to have like Abraham. This is the kind of heart God wanted to draw out of him, to draw out of us. You know, a heart that cared so much for people, made in his image. doesn't matter what they've done. They're in the image of God. He cares so much for the people that he wants to intercede on their behalf, even the city that deserved judgment. You know, this was the heart of a great leader in Abraham. Obviously, we know, right, the great plans that he did through him. But the heart that we need to have also, you know, as believers in Jesus Christ. And this is big. This is big, everybody. To have that heart, you know, as a church, to pray for one another. That we hear, you know, so many things. I don't think there's been a time like this since I've, you know, been a Christian where there's so many things happening to people. So many people hurting, so many people sick, so many people, you know, in need of the Lord to do something in their life. Never been like that for me. It's almost like a weight. You guys feel it? It's like a weight on us as a church. But it, it's, it's so much easier to, to, to pray, right, and, and ask God for things. He's there all the time. And you're going to get the, the, the best insight from him. Or you can go to whoever you might go to, friends, family, anybody, and get like a, a, a 
guys remember you get those grab bags just full of junk? You just get a grab bag full of stuff, full of insight from the world, and try to sift through it all and see what works for you. Two options, the Lord or that. I pray that I do that every single time and not go to anybody else. I mean, people can u- be using our lives right, but I, they, they better be pointing me to the Lord. They better not be pointing me to where, well, well is there more money for you, that, that job over there? Or, or are you praying that that's what the Lord wants for you right now? You know, even the, 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 the good things, right, the promotions, all that stuff, is that what the Lord wants for you? But we need to be praying. Earnest prayer has the power, not because in of itself it persuades a reluctant God. Instead, it demonstrates that our heart cares passionately about things that God cares about. Fulfilling Jesus' promise that if you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. John 15, 7. 1 Timothy 2, 8. It says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Peter was therefore kept in prison. Peter was locked up, but the church was free to pray. Freedom, right, to pray anytime you want. When every other gate is is shut or locked, the, the gates of heaven are always open, right? The Lord's always there. We need to take advantage of that open communication that we have with the Lord, and really take advantage of it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told the disciples to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are taught here one of the the basic principles of of ministry, right? The tools of the ministry are the word of God and prayer. And whenever we talk about work and stuff like that, if you work with your hands, you need to have dull tools or sharp tools. Sharp. They better be sharp or you're going to get hurt. So is, is, are you sharp in the word of God? That means if someone's teaching you something, that you know right, whether it's true or not. If someone's saying, here, you know, wh- where does it say that? That you can go there and pray right, and show them where it's at, that promises that they have. Are you sharp in your prayer life? where you know your life reflects the love of God to where you can, you can commune with him right, regularly and often right, for people. Are, are those things sharp? Hope, right, they're sharp as, as a church. Those are the two, I guess, the, the main things, right, that people have that I, you know, still trouble, right, issues with, right, the, the time to be in the Word, the time to pray because of everything happening. That, that's where we need to be at all the time. So at the end of verse 17, Peter, you know, quiets him down in Acts chapter 12, verse 17, and tells him that all the Lord has done to free him, kind of gives him the insight, right, that my chains fell off, man, and I was able to come out. How great is that? You know, he's trying to share what the Lord had did. After that, it says he leaves to another place and probably to to hide. So let's read verses 18 through 24. All right. It says, Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir 
among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had stretched, searched for him, he had not found him. He examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And when he went down from Judea to Caesarea, they, they stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend. They asked for peace because their country supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them, a speech. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So in verse 18, it says there was no small stir, meaning that there was a big stir, big confusion, right? One of the translations said there was a great commotion among the soldiers. They didn't have a clue what happened to Peter or where he was. And when Herod came, you know, guy was upset. You know, his, his publicity was going to be marred, right, by the es- escape of Peter. Um, he questioned the guards, and he looked for Peter, thinking that they might be hiding him or something. Back then, being a guard was a tough job because if you didn't do your job correctly, you received the punishment that was going to them. So it says Herod put their guards to death. It's probably all those guys, right? His wrath probably went to everyone. So Herod leaves Judea and heads up to Caesarea, probably to kind of regroup and avoid what had happened there, what the Lord did there in his failed attempt to kill Peter. But in going there, he meets his own death by the hand of God. So these cities, Tyre and Sidon, weren't on good terms with Herod. Um, No one knows why, but the Bible says that Herod was angry with them. In verse 20, Tyre and Sidon depended on Judea for food, right? their meals from King Herod. So they took an opportunity to try and soften him up. It says they came down in one accord and arranged a time for the hearing of the king. And in verse 21, the king comes in all decked out in his royal apparel, dressed up, and they said it was like almost like silver, complete silver uh, clothes. And so he was, he was shining, right? He gave them a speech from his throne, and here the people started to say things, right? They yelled um, the voice of a god and not of a man. So it came straight from them. It wasn't like he was telling, you know, had people in the crowd, like remember when Jesus was under trial, right, where they were putting people in there to start the commotion? Uh, this was just straight from the people. Uh, kind of crazy, but we know the people didn't really believe that. They wanted just to flatter him and to get their, their food. They just wanted, it, so, wanted something from him. Uh, they were depending on a man for their needs instead of the Lord. And we definitely could apply that for our, to our lives where can we depend fully Uh, and everything uh, on him. You know, are we looking to a man for what we might think might be better for us? Is our total dependence on him, spiritual and physical needs? Herod took the brunt of the punishment here. It says immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because why? He did not give glory to God. He died because he did not bring glory to God. Very specific there in that verse. Back in the life of Abraham, like I was saying, the Lord's cool when I get up here. (laughs) There was a situation also that he was challenged with Abraham in Genesis 14. 
where he was involved in a rescue attempt, right, of his nephew Lot. And he, get, he got into the situation where the king of Sodom, again, wants to give him stuff because he won the battle. Winning a battle, again, this is life and death things, right? He, he fought a battle and won. Doesn't it seem reasonable that he should accept some recognition from the king? But Abraham, it says in, in Genesis 14 that he made a vow with God that I will, I will take nothing from this king or anyone else lest they say that they made me rich or lest they say that what God has done in my life, they did it. Unless the focus is given to them and not to the Lord. He didn't want anything from them. So nothing against the, the, the king, like I said, but Abraham wanted his life to, to bring light to him and him only. No, I don't want nothing, no recognition, no, no money, no possessions, nothing. All that stuff the Lord's going to give me. Right? I don't want nothing from me, only because I want people to know that in my life, what I have, what I've done, it's all because of him. Only because of the Lord. So everything that, that he had become, it was Lord from Abraham. And the king here in, the, in, the, in Acts chapter 12 did the opposite, received the praise, received the, the, uh, the yells, and he was judged for it. So when we are willing to pursue human resources of success using man-centered wisdom and methods, if, if success does come, how can we say that God did everything? It's much better to follow God's wisdom so that when success comes, he gets the glory. And it's evident to you and to everyone in your life that it was his work and only his work. Again, as believers, we need to bring everything back to him, even what he's done so people can see Right, that hey, this knucklehead, he didn't do anything. Look what, what he's got. It's all because of the Lord. All because of the Lord. Here are some references on giving glory to God. Romans 15, 5 through 6. It says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded to one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 19-20, it says, And may God's, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And 1 Peter, last one, four eleven, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we need to be so careful that we don't let people praise us and we don't lift ourselves up, right? Basic stuff. But we need to always be giving God the glory for all the things that we have or what he's done in our lives. So it's so easy to give ourselves a credit. That's the easy route. Hey, look, look, I worked hard for that or, or I got the education that got me this thing or anything like that. But to say and to shock people when you say, hey, God gave me the ability to do that, or God, God gets the glory. People will be like, hey, you see that work? You're going to watch out. <laughs> God might take away some stuff. But no, this, just that, that knee-jerk reaction, right? 
that nothing you have done or will ever do is because of what you have. Right? It's all because the Lord gave you the, the ability. Right? We are, and there's awards given out for everything nowadays, but we need to point everyone to the Lord, not end up like Herod who wants to be eaten by worms. He doesn't want to be eaten by worms, right? Give glory to God and, and point people to him. So in verse 24, it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied. God's word grew and multiplied even in the death of this cruel king. So in this chapter, we talked about a few different things. I can't really pinpoint a theme here, but we talked about prayer and really believing God will answer. Right? Don't be praying in a room, and when, when someone tells you, hey, look what happened, you're like, yeah, no. Really believe that God will answer. And we talked about the Lord meeting us and, and freeing us at a specific time like Peter, right? He'll give us, he's always on time. We talked about the, the heavenly team and, and not the earthly team. Always go to the Lord. Never never go to the to the world for any advice. And we ended up talking about the giving the glory to God. So so that's what the, the Lord gave me in this study, but in listening to, to other people, you know, commentaries and so forth. Um, the, the constant theme that was brought up, and I think that should be mentioned because those guys are a lot smarter than I am, but it pretty much talked about why did, why did James die and Peter live? Why? Why was James martyred and Peter saved? Do we know why? Must we know why? What we do know is, is that God chose, Amen. God chose what was going to happen to these people. And there was, was there a difference between James and Peter? No difference. Peter, James, and John, you know, they're always close to the Lord. When Jesus was transfigured, you know, Peter, James were there. When uh, Mount of Olives, they were there. When Jesus was healing a little girl and you know, let certain people in the room, they were there. They were both loved and used by the Lord, but one, one's time was shorter than the other. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 20, it says, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So, so are, we, are we comfy with knowing that the Lord has the number of days on earth for us in his hand. You know, I, I pray that I am and that you are. Do you think James was complaining? Where was he at? In glory, right? Peter's probably the one complaining because he's still trying to hide from his guy, Herod. But the Lord n- knows those things, Right? Or he can continue to give Peter strength to continue to walk. And, and James' time was up. And, and all, it's all part of God's sovereign will, right, for all of us here. When our work is done here on earth for the Lord, he'll take us out. Who's ready? We need to be ready. But while, while we're here, in the meantime, you know, we need to be giving him glory all, all the time, every day. We need to be praying, working hard for him. Are you working hard for the Lord? Am, am I doing everything that I need to do 
right, that he's called me to do every day. There's the, the challenge. Are we doing those things? Are we praying constantly? That, that earnest prayer that, that you're just stretching so far to where you can't stretch anymore for the people in your life. But we need to be praying and seeking him and, and giving him the glory while we can because uh, what, what better place to be right, than, than in a place where, where God wants us to be and he wants to use us and we need to bring as many people we can with us to heaven. That's our plan, right? Amen.